From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Monday, July 15th, 2019. It is open week, the 148th open. I believe I'd be fined if I called it the Open Championship, although hilariously, um, <laughs> I do think hilariously Ryan Ballinger joins us. Uh, the European Tour app still calls it the Open Championship. Um, and let me see what the PGA Tour uh, website schedule officially calls this week. I, I just can't get the name right for this week, and nor can any announcers. They just keep changing it. Yeah, it is. The PGA Tour website has it as the Open Championship with the logo of the Open. Yeah. No, nothing like a way to just confuse everybody. Well, I mean, the name of the tournament is still the Open Championship proper. I mean, that's what it is. But uh, but the RNA has chosen chosen to stick with the branding of the Open, and so I guess that's kind of what everyone's doing right now. And folks, please do not call it the British Open this week because not only is it the incorrect and old name, this event actually is not in Great Britain. So you are actually geographically wrong this week. Besides being uh, marketingly wrong. So, we are joined by Ryan Ballinger, Golf News Net, uh, Golf, the, the 19th Hole Podcast, uh, to preview the Open Championship. Uh, uh, whatever, I just did it. Um, at <laughs> Royal Port Rush, the Open returns to Northern Ireland for the first time since 1951. Um, here we go, Ryan, and it's been an interesting stretch on the PGA Tour. Um, we had Ches Reevy, then we had the incredible story of Nate Lashley. We had Matthew Wolf going berserk, but he's not in the field this week. We can argue about that on another day. And then we had yesterday, um, and what I believe is going to be the first of many um, Dylan Fratelli, who I've been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for, and finally came on the scene to get his first PGA Tour win at the John Deere yesterday. Um, it's been an interesting stretch in the PGA Tour. It has been. The uh, the run here from the U.S. Open to the Open has been pretty interesting in a variety of different ways, but primarily because of the young guys who have stepped up to the plate right out of college and Matt Wolf winning and Colin Morikawa securing his PGA Tour membership for next season after the, the deer and Victor Hovland who continually seems to find a way to finish inside the top 20 with a strong weekend. Uh, and then you obviously had Nate Lashley winning in Detroit as the third alternate, which was remarkable uh, and probably one of the better stories of the year. And then yesterday we had Dylan Fratelli, who's kind of underachieved in his first season with full PGA Tour status, is hovering in the 150s, looking at a potential run in the Web.com, sorry, the Corn Ferry Tour Finals, and all of a sudden now finds himself secure, finds himself in the Open, finds himself in the Masters next year, and his life gets a lot easier. So a handful of young guys' lives turned around in the last few weeks. And I, I didn't even mention Doc Redman, who, with his runner-up in Detroit, earned special temporary membership. So that gets himself uh, some a few exemptions into these final few events, which may be the difference between him getting a car through non-member FedEx Cup points or at least being in a pretty decent spot heading into uh, the Corn Ferry Finals. So we'll, we'll see how all that works out. So uh, I think this has been a great 
little run, and I think it sets up pretty well in the future for these young guys who are fresh out of college or relatively young to play in these events where you've got to get to about 20 under to think about winning because of the style of golf they feel comfortable playing, and it's a good way to get acclimated to the PGA Tour. You know, I go back, and we're going very off off topic here, but I go back to the Bronson Burgoon Players Championship conversation with Tiger Dirt, uh, uh, with Tiger at the Players last year. Um, are are you familiar with the conversation that I'm referring to? I'm sorry, can you say that again? Uh, the Bronson Burgoon conversation he had with Tiger at the uh, uh, in in the run up to the Players last year. No, I don't. It doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, this was a fascinating answer Tiger gave at a press conference. You know, Tiger was on this uh, "Nice to Meet You" tour last year when he, you know, kept getting play compared with people like Sam Burns and Bronson Burgoon and right. these guys that have just never met Tiger. And Tiger asked Bronson, "What have you found to be the biggest difference between the, the PGA Tour and the Corn Ferry Tour?" And Bronson basically said on the Corn Ferry Tour, we hit driver everywhere and just bombed it all over the place because we knew we had to be 10,000 under par to win every week. We took no relation or no mindset to what the architect wanted. We didn't play angles. We just hit it as far as we could to make the most birdies. And he had to, and this was especially referring to the West Coast events, start being smarter about angles and where to leave it and where to miss it and all the stuff which we've heard Tiger talk about for years. And I think what's been interesting about this run, Hartford you can always go low on. Detroit was a new venue. They had to back that up and and just be careful with that golf course because the last thing you want is a new event facility you've never been to before and you take it too far. And then... Uh, the the um, Minnesota event, which was a former Champions Tour event, they were able to go low because the conditions just set up for it. And then the deer has always been low. I think this played into those guys' hands. In college, you've got to be aggressive, especially in something like match play. And lo and behold, on, on, the, on the Corn Ferry Tour, these guys are doing the exact same thing. I think for the college guys, it translated well. For the Corn Ferry Tour guys, it translated well. And I think that's partly why they played so well. Yeah, that's my going theory. I mean, when you're a younger player, you are extremely aggressive. Uh, you go for everything. You go for every shot. I mean, I'm 36 years old, and I still go for every shot. Um, <laughs> but when you're playing at that level, you, you kind of have to do that because everyone around you is doing that. And you don't play safe because you feel really, I mean, you just have that bravado of being a, a younger person. And you get to the Corn Ferry Tour, and out of necessity, it's kind of like that. Same thing on the Canadian Tour. I think that's why Doc Redmond did so well in playing in Detroit, because you got to be like 25 under to win on the Canadian Tour, which is outrageous, but that's yeah. what it is. And so for, for these guys who are fresh out of school, all you do is just play the golf you're comfortable playing. You, you've got to go deep. You've got to take advantage of a golf course and, and from a number of these guys, they're longer and faster than their old, now older peers. So why not use that to your advantage? And they did. And then I think once they kind of get into the the meat of the real PGA Tour, so once they kind of get away from the next couple of weeks, you know, Matt Wolf's going to find himself in a different world uh, when he gets to the WGC in Memphis. Uh, a TPC Southwind has traditionally been a course where you win it. Uh, 10, 12 under par. I mean, there have been ex- exceptions to that, but, you know, that kind of number, and it's a tough golf course, and it usually plays pretty firm. It's going to be a different feel for him than just blasting driver everywhere and 
figuring he'll hit legendary green. It, it, it will be a little shock to the system. It'll be interesting to see how he reacts to it. I have... I, 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 the, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, 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 was, I, I, was, I was just going to say the prime example of this is two words, Cameron Champ. Right. I mean, he won in a tournament where you could blast away. There really weren't any problems with his driving inaccuracy and all of his genius of being able to hit the ball a zillion miles was upside. There was no downside to it. And then he got into all these better events. He played all these more difficult setups. And he found himself in trouble. And he's frankly been terrible since. And there has to be an acclimation. There has to be an adjustment that happens. And I think that's what made John Rahm so remarkable when he came out. Not only did he play well out the gate, he played well out the gate on difficult golf courses. So he didn't necessarily have to beat up fields, uh, weak fields, frankly, on the golf courses where you had to be 20 under. He did well at the, the national where you know, 10 under was a great score. He did well in a variety of different events where you kind of had a different range of winning scores. And I think that was what the indicator was that he would be a, what he is now, a top 10 player in the world. But with Wolf and Morikawa and Hovland, I think we, not that I'm holding out judgment, but we've got to see what these guys do when 20 under is just not feasible, when, you know, a great week is eight under par. This, to me, is just shocking. And this is why I wonder if there's something wrong with Cameron Champ. If we throw out the 11th at the Tournament of Champions, T73 cut, T67, T28 at Pebble, cut, cut, withdraw, cut, 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 54th, 58th, cut, cut, 46th, cut, cut. Bad. That is shocking for somebody who won in the fall last year at 21 under par with three rounds in the 60s, including a 64 on Saturday. That's just shocking. Okay. But think, but think also, too, I mean, if I may, about Cody Gribble, who won the Sanderson yes. very quickly out of school. And you're like, all right, we got a young star. Well, no, you don't, because he's also struggling on the PGA Tour. It, you got to take the wins when you can get them because they mean so much to your livelihood and your opportunities. But and, you can't take one tournament and project, especially one of those types of tournaments, and project a player to be doing great things just because they're young. Those tournaments have a, a little bit different of a flavor to them, and they aren't necessarily correlated with success in the majors or the WGCs or the players. People say this about Tiger, and we'll get to Tiger. This is actually a nice transition in, into the Open. People have gotten on Tiger. Tiger's got a win this year. He's got, what, his worst finish is like 40th something? He hasn't missed a cut. No, he missed one cut. Or is he not? No, he's not missed the cut all year, I don't think. Um, no, he missed the cut at, at, at uh, Bethpage. That's it. Yeah, yeah. He's just cruising. He's having a nice season. He's got a bunch of top eights, top tens. He's just cruising along, Tiger Woods is. Oh, wait, he's Tiger. The expectations are sky high. Well, I, I, it, it's crazy to me that people, you know, the building process in 18, they understood. The win at Eastlake, exhausted at the Ryder Cup. I think people just expected more of a building in 19. And it's been all over the place, and there's 10,000 reasons for that. But I think Tiger is the perfect example of a major season with, like, three other top tens for anybody else is an oh-my-God career year that you will party 364 days of the year to celebrate. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean... 
if you win a major, if anyone wins a major, it's their career year pretty much. I mean, we yeah. talked about Francesco Molinari's season as last year as well. He won the the major, he won the BMW PGA, he won the national. I mean, oh my God, it's the best season ever. And that's, I mean, Tiger's done that like seven times. Um, <laughs> so of course, the expectations are a little bit different for him. I think at this point, there's kind of been a storyline of around Tiger not playing frequently this year. I mean, he played more frequently leading into the majors. He played more frequently in general last year, and it seems like this year he is just kind of on cruise. Like, hey, I won the Masters. This is awesome. Uh, Yeah, I'll show up to the PGA, US Open. Let's see what happens. I mean, you never know. But it doesn't seem like he's quite as in tune, quite as driven uh, after what's happened and and that's fine I mean you won the Masters you pulled up one of the greatest feats in sports history Um, you know you can kind of take the rest of the year off if you'd like and he also still has to be the President's Cup captain he's going to play in that he's got to care about that he's got to get through the FedEx Cup playoffs he's got to care about that because he's effectively a PGA Tour ambassador for the next seven months or five months until the President's Cup is over so he has some obligations he has to handle and it doesn't seem like his health is uh, better than last year and it's also maybe not worse I don't know but it doesn't seem like he feels as compelled to figure out reps and play into form and get ready for tournaments it just seems like he's going to show up with what he's got and if that's good enough cool and if it's not alright he wants to win the Masters so I, I I don't know if there's a truth to that narrative about his scheduling about his decision making to play and when he's played this year but he has played pretty sparsely. The good news is when he's played, played pretty well. So uh, it seems like he's trying to figure out how much can I play and still be effective while also trying to maintain my health and not put myself in a position to be injured. I mean, he had KT tape on his neck at what, the, the U.S. Open, I believe at Memorial too, or one of the other. Yeah. So, I mean, there have been times this year where you're going to go, wait, 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 maybe – Maybe it's not great. I mean, maybe he's not in perfect shape. You saw him hobble around the golf TV studio after he won the Masters and they gave him the celebration. I mean, it was like, oh, my God, that guy looked like he got hit by a car. So there's probably a lot more management that's going on with Tiger's health than we realize, and he's just trying to figure out what kind of stasis is, what what would be just good enough, and then he could figure out for next year how he handles those venues. Too. And that's why Port Rush fascinates me. Just to finish the point on Cody Gribble, Cody Gribble won in 2017. Since his win in the 2017 season, so for 2017, 18, and 18, 19, he has played 48 events, has one top 25, and has missed 29 cuts. Not good. So that, that just buttons up the story on Cody Gribble and just to button up the story on um, Victor Hovland he has the equivalent of what's 174th in the FedEx Cup standings right now based almost solely on Sunday finishes it is astounding what Victor Hovland is doing right now on Sundays with these limited starts and if he can just stay there and get to the Corn Ferry Tour Finals um, he's going to be a happy man because he would have gotten out with ransom out of these moments. So kudos to the entire people who have helped Victor Hovland. And obviously for, for uh, Colin Morikawa, this is his ideal start 
as you can have unless the numbers for this year are whacked out. 456 is going to be more than enough to clinch your card. So welcome to the PGA Tour next year, uh, Colin. And now you can go for a win in your, ne- in, in, in your last couple starts of the year and have some fun and, and see what can happen. Um, the vibe I've gotten from Portrush so far, Ryan Ballingy, is basically keep the ball in play. If the wind doesn't blow, we're going to see some birdies if you hit it in the right part of the green. I'm sorry, correct part of, correct part of the green, not necessarily the right part, but the correct part. But if not, um, it could get interesting. And uh, that's the basic vibe that I've gotten so far. What's been your basic vibe that you've gotten as you've listened to people and read things and looked at the pictures and video that have come out from Portrush so far? What stuck with me was something Adam Scott said that it's penal off the tee no matter what you choose to do. So <laughs> there's a positive outlook. And I think what he means by that isn't that the golf course is a bad design or anything like that, but that it, you can make a smart choice and still have a bad thing happen to you, and you can make a bad choice and have a good thing happen to you. And so what you have to kind of figure out for yourself: what are the right choices on which hole? And there are some glaring choices you have to make, like you can't be in the yawning bunkers that are just going to mean horrible high scores. I mean, there are a couple of those in the golf course. You can't go over greens. I mean, that seems like a general rule of thumb, but if you go over some of these greens, you're in the ocean. So that's a non-starter. So I think you're going to see a lot of guys playing short and trying to run up these shots. Uh, You're going to see some low balls coming in and hoping that it kind of runs up to the whole location and stops. Um, it does seem like you can score on this golf course, though. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's going to uh, – I, I guess a good example would be like Royal St. George's. Like when they go to Royal St. George's, you're like, all right, well, it could be anywhere from even part of to 10 under that wins. I feel like it's a little bit wider of a, of a range maybe or farther up the, you know, the par scale. Maybe it's minus 6 to minus 14 depending on how the weather blows. Um, it seems like right now the weather forecast is – pretty decent, nothing out of the ordinary, so I think you could probably look at an 8-10 under par winning score, maybe a little bit better depending on, you know, if someone catches fire, of course, but I, I think that's probably the target number some of these guys are thinking about, and overall, they seem to really like the golf course. You know, it seems to me, first of all, that that's perfect for the Open. Second of all, if it rains, and right now the forecast is every day for rain, and that kicks up the wind, I haven't seen... Have you seen any wind forecasts that have been obnoxious? I haven't seen any forecasts for for super bad weather. So for me, looking at this, it's more, do you get benign, in quotes, conditions? Or do you get less benign, in quotes? Uh, sorry. Or, yeah. Do you get benign conditions or do you get less than, than benign conditions? That, to me seems to be the answer. I haven't seen any really bad forecasts. Have you? No, I haven't. I mean, I, what I've seen so far is to suggest, hey, um, it's not going to be that terrible. It, you know, of course, things can change for an hour here or there, but in the main, it seems like we're just going to get kind of some standard yeah, or rush weather, which I, I think, that, of course, you're going to build the course to that. So I would, I would lead that to believe, uh, or that would lead me to believe, I should say, that Gonna score pretty okay. Yeah. All right. So let's look at this. For me, this comes down to two things. Number one, 
does any big we we always think about and project and potentially look at the Ben Curtis's, the Todd Hamilton's, etc. We haven't had that in a while at the Open. We've had really name brand winners: Zach Johnson in fifteen, the Stenson Mickelson duo in sixteen, Spieth going bananas in seventeen. Francesco going bogey-free at Carnoustie over the weekend on in, in, in 18, where everybody seemingly had a sniff of the lead for a moment. To me, this smells of a leaderboard that comes down to efficient ball strikers. And for some reason, Justin Rose is the first one that comes out of my mouth, followed by Ricky Fowler. It seems like you can be a decent putter, okay to decent, not exceptional, but if you're a good ball striker and can Keep the ball in play, out of the out of the thick rough. Some of the just off the fairway rough seems to be okay, but it's the way off stuff that you want to avoid. If you can keep that um, mindset going, that this may be a lot like Pebble in the sense that, yes, a pitch shot won Pebble for Gary Woodland, but his ball striking kept him in it. And I think this may be the same this week. You may have to make a putt here and there, but it's going to be the best ball strikers who come out on top by week's end. I mean, I think that's generally true in the modern PGA Tour. Is it, you have to strike the ball well, and if you make putts, you win. Um, and I don't feel like this venue's got any quirks to it in that sense where you can you have to do something really specific well to win. It's not like it's... Um, like Harbor Town or something like that. Yeah. A really specific skill set that wins. I, I think if you're just a quality player, you're going to do pretty well. Uh, you know, in Justin Rose's case at the U.S. Open, frankly, he was horrible from tee to green, but he managed to get up and down so abnormally often for him that it kept him in it that he struck it well enough, even on a bad day, to, to put himself into contention and give him a chance to win the tournament. Uh, so I think if you're looking at kind of ball strikers, which, again, that's not a bad place to start at all. I think you can look at him if he strikes it well. I think you look at Adam Scott, who is having, a, in my view, abnormally good putting year. Um, he's made an obscene number of decent putts this year, and he's had some great finishes in the major championships. Patrick Cantlay isn't the best ball striker in the world, though he's gotten much better. And he's certainly in the top, I'd say, 20% of the PGA Tour now. And he's pretty much good at everything. Uh, he's good enough at everything to win. So he's had some great finishes in the major championships this year. I would look at him. You've got to think about Rory McIlroy. He holds the course record he has for 14 years. And I don't expect that to change this week. So uh, he has more top 10 finishes in the major championships in the last 10 years than anybody. And that's primarily because he's a great off-the-tee ball striker. I mean, he's not the best wedge player there's ever been. But he has enough good wedges in around, enough good putts in around to be better than pretty much everybody else almost every week. So, um, but, you know, the, the only ball strikers I think I would tend to shy away from are guys who aren't used to playing in weather like this or don't seem to have a, an affinity for it. You know, Brooks Koepka doesn't seem to love playing the Open. Neither does Dustin Johnson, for that matter. But Dustin Johnson has three top ten finishes in his Open career. Brooks Koepka seems like he can win anywhere as long as they call it a major championship. So, um and then I think about Tiger Woods, whose ball striking has generally been very good this year, but his putting has been inferior uh, this year. And if he can kind of straighten that out for a few days, then he's got a chance. I mean, it really does boil down to what's your starting point and what, what do you have to do to play better than that. But 
I, I think you kind of start with that group of guys and maybe even throw in a Webb Simpson, who I feel like has very quietly had a very good year that's pretty close to what he had last year, which was his best year. So obviously not the same win tally, and they didn't win the players, but he's playing really good golf, and he's striking the ball well. To me, what's interesting about this is the home course advantage. Um, and I would think, have you ever represented your, your town or, or your school in anything or, or your any? Were you ever like the sole representative of something in your life? Uh, sure, yeah. Speech or debate and golf. I mean, uh, a bunch of different things. Quiz bowl. I mean, all kinds of nerdy pursuits. Right, okay. Did you ever feel like you had the weight of whatever that is on your shoulders? Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, I've... I've, I've and that's an interesting question. I mean, I'm going to get into some of this, but I feel like I put more pressure on myself than anyone could apply pressure on me, even if that meant I felt I was representing someone else uh, or something else than necessarily people were literally counting on me to, to come through in the clutch for them. But um, as it relates to maybe Rory or Graham McDowell, I think he said played between three and four hundred rounds at yeah. Rush. I mean, those guys got to think in different ways. I mean, McDowell's happy to be there. He had to make a 29-and-a-half-footer that went two-and-a-half feet right to be, just get in this thing. And so he's just got to be happy to be there. But if you're McElroy, you've got to figure, I've been waiting, I've been basically bred for this moment, that this actually could happen. I imagine there's probably a lot of pressure on him, and I imagine he probably feels a sense of, maybe not pressure, but just pressure from pride, that uh, as an Ulsterman, I mean, he's gotta represent the Klan, so to speak. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he responds to that, but I think he does have a history of demonstrating a response to that in the Ryder Cup. I mean, he's played well in big spots in the Ryder Cup in the past, so. I'm led to believe he could do it in the sense of country as opposed to, or island, I guess, as opposed to continent. But let me just throw this out there. He has been stuck on four majors since that PGA at Valhalla. Um, and, you know, we all talk about what's wrong with Jordan Spieth. We have not really had a chat about what's wrong with Rory McIlroy in majors. So I think he's got... This is why I like Graham McDowell this week more than Rory. I think Graham's playing with house money in the sense that he, his best days may be beyond him. And to get the win that he did this year in the Dominican Republic, which put him in position to even have this opportunity in Canada to make the putt, it's just an amazing moment for him and, and his country. And to get back in the winner's circle, have job security again, has been amazing. But for me, I think he's playing with house money because everybody's going to look towards Rory and maybe look towards towards Darren Clark because he's leading everything off and Graham can kind of fall in there. Rory wins the players. We think, okay, this is the final stepping stone towards him getting back in the major circle and maybe completing the Grand Slam. Doesn't happen at the first three majors of the year. He wins in Canada the week before the U.S. Open, driving it on a string. We think, if he can do that at Pebble Beach, he'll be great. Nope. So here we are. Now he's home. So he's got some experience. But I just think that's such a burden to have on your shoulders. And that's why I think someone like Justin Rose, who so desperately wants to win this championship because of what it means just for his the broader U.K., not even just, just being as an Englishman, 
and trying to chase down what Sir Nick did and everything else, but just what he's meant overall. I think that's a guy who's more likely to win this from that area of the world than Rory or Graham. That's just my two cents. Maybe. I mean, I feel like potentially we're we're weighing too much on experience and country of origin here. I mean, Americans win majors in America all the time, and no one goes, oh, well, you've got to be, you got to feel the pressure of playing for America, especially in the U.S. Open. I mean, my goodness. Yeah, but I, I, I would argue, though, Ryan, that the Olympics is a great example of that. And look at the pride Matt Kuchar has had in, 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 in his bronze medal. Look at the Ryder Cup and the pressure those guys have had wearing the Stars and Stripes. So I think it's a quirky deal. I, I, I get that. There's not the equivalent of the U.S. Open because there's 10,000 players in that event that are from the U.S. But I don't know. I just feel like this is two slightly different things, if that makes sense. I can understand that. I, mean, I guess my read of, you know, this is probably above my pay grade, of Irish geopolitics is that if you're from Northern Ireland, you're kind of, especially of McRoy and McDowell's generation, I don't know that there's a whole lot of national pride involved in a political sense. Like, I'm not pr- they're not proud to be British or something like that. So I don't think they think of it that way. Although I do think that they have a sense of pride, obligation, whatever, that they are a face of uh, a, a people that kind of have come together a little bit in the last 20 years, 25 years, but are still in many ways miles apart. So uh, it, it's an awkward thing. It, it's different than American patriotism. It's different than continentalism when you're playing in the, in the Ryder Cup. It's, it's just a different thing, but I wonder if they do see themselves as uh, – Maybe potential unifiers in a sense. I mean, in the one open championship that they're going to get, that we know they're going to get. I mean, I, I assume Port Rush is going to become a regular venue after this because it seems like it's going well. But it seems to me like this is an opportunity of beyond golf. So maybe in that sense, there's pressure that is because it's beyond golf, not necessarily for country or anything, but because it could, could mean something even bigger if it brings people together. Doug Ferguson uh, from the AP just tweeted this out. Forecast for tournament days at Royal Port Rush. Quote, changeable continu- conditions continuing with showers or longer spells of rain interspersed with drier and brighter, brighter interludes. Confidence low in any details at this stage, unquote. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, having... As Doug I says, glad that I went in Northern Ireland and Ireland. It uh, it changes quickly. I mean, the day I was there was really windy, then not that windy, warm-ish for that time of year, then pretty freaking cold. Then I mean, it it changes. It it just like it. And the interesting thing to me about Port Rush as a as a venue is uh, that um, have you played there by the way? There's no real links land. You know, if you go to a bunch of open championship venues, there's miles of links land between the actual course and the ocean. So you get a little buffer. Here, there's no buffer at all. I mean, in most cases, it's right there. I mean, there's the Irish Sea. So I don't think that there's... You're going to get all of it or you're going to get none of it. There's not going to be just some kind of... uh, in the windswept part of the course that maybe doesn't get as much because it's farther away. I mean, if it, if the property gets it, everyone's getting it, which I think will be fascinating. Have you? Uh, did you play Port Rush by the way on your travels? 
I didn't. Just drove by it, uh, walked around a little bit, and uh, didn't get to play it. But, I mean, it's a breathtaking place. I mean, it's it, it just kind of stumbled on the road, and you're like, wait, wow, that's a world-class golf course right there. And the really interesting thing is, not too far from it, there's a castle whose back literally fell into the Irish Sea, so you can see into it. Um, that's kind of interesting. But it, you just kind of stumble upon this place. I mean, it is genuinely just a random small town where you just have this incredible golf club. What are we forgetting here? Because I have two questions left, obviously. One of which is, what are your picks? The other of which is, what are we forgetting here? Because you and I, when, when, when you come on Teeing It Up, Ryan, we, we meander and talk about a lot of things. What have, what have we forgotten <laughs> to talk about? I, I mean, I think we hit the highlights. I mean, I don't think... I don't think we want to get too far into the political thing. I think we read too much into yeah. that too early. You never know what something means until long after it's done. Um, but I'm really happy to see how big of a deal this seems to be for not only Northern Ireland, but for the island of Ireland. Sold out. It's long sold out. I think it's the first time in maybe modern history. Uh, I think is the the right way to phrase it, yeah. modern history that the Open has been sold out. They even opened up more tickets. They told you, do not show up at the gates. Do not walk up. It's worthless. Don't Don't even try. There's nothing for you. You can't have have it in. If you don't have a ticket, you can't get in. Yes. Um, That's incredible. And, I mean, if you saw some pictures from yesterday when players were kind of starting to get into it, file in, the crowds were great for a, a Sunday before a major. I mean, that's obscene. Those were some PGA Tour size crowds out there. Some like yeah. some like Sunday competition PGA Tour size crowds. Yeah, I, and I think we're going to see a really awesome response. I mean, I, I think the RNA is going to be blown away by, and they probably already have them, but I think they're going to be even further blown away by what it looks like this week. And, and hopefully, to me, hopefully that means that maybe someday, and I don't know about the logistics of the site, but maybe someday Royal County Down gets to hold an open championship. I mean, it's, in my opinion, a better golf course than Royal Port Rush, which is incredible. Maybe that opens it up. Maybe you, you potentially go to a Royal Port call in, uh, in Wales. So maybe they start to open their minds about, all right, well, we've got these 10 courses we keep going to, and, and they're all lovely maybe there are a few more we can go visit. So that's kind of part of my hope for this week. So maybe that's the one thing we're missing is what, what this will actually could potentially mean in the long haul for a variety of different things. But it's so hard to say with any kind of certainty what's going to happen and what it'll mean because you, you just don't know <laughs> until the people in charge and the people who make these kinds of decisions kind of assess what happens. But barring some kind of absolute debacle, uh, I think this is going to be a great week. And and two things off that. Number one, um, it seems like those two new holes that they built, seven and eight, to fit in all the um, all the infrastructure have been received well, um, yeah. which is a good thing when you have to build new holes to fit into a very historic golf course. And number two, and and to just dip back into politics for a second, if the RNA stance... Which, if which it appears to be unofficially saying, is that we will not go back to Turnberry when Donald, uh, uh, as long as Donald Trump is still in office. If Trump wins a second term in twenty twenty, that then could open up another slot in the Rota 
for a course like Port Rush again or County Down or whatever if they're going to further push that return to Turnberry back to further and further away from Donald Trump's presidency, no matter what you think about it. Could happen. I mean, it could happen regardless of whether he wins the second term. They could just say, hey, we don't want the conflict of interest of bringing the, the open championship to a former U.S. president's property. We're yeah. not going to do it. So goodbye. And then that could mean Port Rush could be in it, Porth Call could be in it, County Down, if they could figure out the logistics, that's a little bit more difficult, I think, than doing uh, Port Rush for a variety of reasons. Uh, maybe that gets in. I don't know. I mean, there's some, some potential unknowns out there. Or do they just say, well, you're out, but we've got one new one in, we'll call that net even, and that's that. I, I yeah. don't know, but uh, it will be interesting to see in the, in the coming years, because they're only through, I believe, 22 in announced future sites through Royal St. George's uh, for 22 to 151st open. So at that point, I mean, it's, it's anyone's guess, but you got to figure Muirfield would be next probably in 2023. That would be 10 years since having hosted uh, at that point. So they're probably slotted in right there. You've got 2025. You're not going to do wait four years. Or, uh, you do four years or five years between opens. You got 2024 in there somewhere. Um, It'll be, it, I mean, at earliest for Turnberry, uh, I would think 26 or 27. And, and like you said, at that point, Trump would be out of office, hypothetically, even if he served a second term out. Right. And right now, 19 Port Rush, 2020 is uh, St. George's, 21 St. Andrews, 22 Royal Liverpool. That, those are the only ones they've announced. And. As you know, with the planning that goes into this stuff, they have to announce 23 fairly soon. Um, just in the sense of whichever golf course is getting it in 23 would probably like to start their planning, uh, considering that it's four years away. So I think we may get some answers uh, fairly soon on, on furthermore what the status of Trump-Turnberry um, is down the line and, and what Port Russia's status is down the line. All right, who do you like this week? Who's your winner? John Rahm. I like John Rahm a lot. He seems to love playing golf, particularly in Ireland. Won two Irish Open, both on link-style courses. Including two weeks ago. Including a couple of weeks ago. He, he did have a very good finish in the U.S. Open, although I think we probably will look at the result as better than it actually was in terms of being in the thick of it. But he still had a good result. He's had a very consistent year. I mean, he hasn't seemed to have had as many episodes this year with his temper tantrums and if all those things kind of come together I think he can win this thing if somebody on Twitter posted a while back when my, when John Rahm has more temper tantrums than my young kid you know something's not right yeah. um, and it seems like he's been able to keep his cool lately so that's a good thing for me I want to pick J Ricky again but I've done that how many consecutive podcasts with you I don't know, but you've been on the Ricky train for a while. Right. So now I'm off it. And then I was on Justin Thomas, I think, for a major. I'm going to go Justin Rose this week. Um, and I really, long term, I've been picking up as my international sleeper forever, Dylan Fratelli. Maybe not this week because this is a whirlwind situation. You know, hopping on a plane and now suddenly playing in an event that you didn't see yourself playing in. But Dylan Fratelli is going to win one of these events uh, sooner rather than later. He is so talented and so good. But Justin Rose, uh, who finished runner-up last year. People forget about that. Kisner, Rory, Rose, Xander. 
Xander Shoffley is going to win one of these things out of nowhere, and you and I will totally see it coming, and nobody else will. It, it, it's it's going to be hilarious. Well, he, I mean, he's, def- he's, he's kind of like a mini Brooks. I mean, obviously, he hasn't had the same level of success yet. He's still very young, but he seems to be geared toward the tougher tournaments, not just majors. I mean, he plays WGCs well, the players, those type of events. He plays those well. It's where he wins. And he handles the majors great. And he seems to like playing against the tougher competition on the more difficult courses. He's kind of the antithesis of Morikawa and Wolf right now. Of, Don't get me to a place where i got to win at 20 under. Get me to a place where i got to win at 12, and that would be great. Going back to last year's U.S. Open, so the U.S. Open that was held at Shinnecock, T6, T2, T35, T2, T16, T3 at majors for Zane Shoffley. <laughs> He's not a miss. Yeah. Um, and, so and I actually didn't even use him in a major this year, which is kind of shocking. Uh, I'm going to use him in the playoffs for my one and done league, but uh, he's just so good. I mean, it, it, in these tight spots and in the, in the a place where people get butterflies because of big purses or points or trophies or whatever, he doesn't seem to be bothered by it. And I think that's pretty awesome. And by the way, and this is for another podcast, Matthew Wolf, the moxie he showed. That was as good a Sunday as golf has had in a long time, maybe since Augusta, in terms of the number of snares and Bryson making ego on top of him. Matthew Wolfson to come into one of these majors, have no fear, and do what Xander has done. It's going to be amazing. Ryan Ballinger, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeremy. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.